Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Well, I think the distrust probably started in 95 when I did my first stint on Home and Away. Mm -hmm. And um, I came back after six weeks away and all the kids were like, where have you been? And I was like, oh, I was in Sydney shooting Home and Away. And they were like, yeah, fucking right you were. These are the kids you're at school with and stuff. The kids yeah. You knew, yeah. And then it came on air. Mm. And the first morning I turned up at school after my episode had aired on Home and Away the previous night, um, I walked into class and all the hotties were like, sit next to me, Sam. Mm. Uh, whereas previously I wasn't allowed to go anywhere near them. So, um, but isn't that a good thing? Yeah, but yeah, but I just it just realised like uh, I just realised really sharply kind of how how people change. Um, my status changed instantly. The way people behaved towards me changed instantly. And I was young, and um, it was a very profound change in reaction. So when, then, when Secret Life hit, um, it was a big show at the time, and a lot of people were watching it, and. A lot of people wanted to be my friends and I, and I didn't know whether they wanted to be my friends because I was a rad human uh, and just an awesome guy or <laughs> yeah, or because, um, um, you know, they wanted um, a story about that bloke on the telly to tell their mates. Sam Johnson is one of those special people. There's just something special about him, a vibe that makes people want to watch him and listen to him. And I think it might become burdensome sometimes. Like, maybe lots of times. Like, when we're still obsessed with the secret life of us. Or when we insist on saying the burgers are better at Hungry Jack's the way he did. Or when we rave on about what a saint he is for his commitment to his terminally ill sister, Connie. And their Love Your Sister campaign. In person, Sam is a disarming mix of boyish energy and world weariness. But in a way that, that I really appreciate. You know when you have a conversation with Sam, it's going to be real. It's going to be raw. He's not going to hold anything back and you're not going to be left wondering what he thinks about anything. Sam is honest, unyieldingly honest in a way that you kind of have to prepare yourself for sometimes, I think. I'm Michelle Laurie and this is the Nitty Gritty Committee, conversations about the guts and the glory of life. Yeah, I was quite distrustful. I, I mean, I hit Secret Life when I was 21. I was the youngest cast member. Um, There's a young age to try and deal with all of a sudden becoming a... Uh, a somebody in into inverted commas with tongue, my tongue in, firmly <laughs> implanted in both cheeks. You're very soulful, though, for a young man, because I have stood next to a number of men who've become famous, and I've watched them become famous, 
and they have bloody loved it when the girls suddenly started being nice to them. None of them felt troubled, maybe later. Maybe as they got older, they started to feel distrustful about people's motives and want to be liked for themselves. But as young men, they, they, they just loved it. I mean, were you, were you always a soulful kid? Do you think you always thought on a really deep emotional level? I'm not sure whether I've ever thought on a deep level, but um, certainly an emotional level. Um, that's really, you know, wasn't the school of life or, you know, um, or at school I didn't learn much. But out of, out of life, that's kind of what, what I've learned. I'm a feeler. Uh, heart's on the sleeve. Can't hide it if I'm upset. Um, you know, it's, I just can't hide it. It's, it's, it's written all over me. So I'm terrible at lying and I'm highly emotional. Um, so, um, yeah, that has its challenges for me and for the people around me, but, um, you get better at all that emotional shit as you get older. You do. Mm. Do you think it started when you lost your mum when you were younger? Were you? No, well, it may have, but I have no memory of it. So. You don't remember losing your mum? I don't remember anything before about nine. Um, so, you know, whatever happened there, I can't gauge the effect of it. Um, I, look, Do you think that is the effect of it? No, no. I think I've just got a shit memory. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, short term and long term. Partly due to the the way I'm wired, and partly due to kind of you know a couple of decades of systematic kind of alcohol and drug abuse. Mm -hmm. So how are you wired? Um, oh, um, pretty uh, polarically. I mm -hmm. think, yeah, I'm one of those extremity guys, so I don't really sit in the middle on much. I'm, 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 I tend to be kind of, you know, diving in head first or sucking my thumb in a corner somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> when you say polarity, it makes me wonder: is is there any mental illness that you know of or that you think? Oh, there's, they get some. I've had some um, labels kind of bandied around, um, and I, I was on medication for much of my adulthood. Um, but I've been off medication for two years now without an incident. So I'm not, I'm not sure about some of these labels. I don't know. I think, um, I think they're pretty linked to drugs and alcohol as well. The relationship between mental health issues and drugs and alcohol is acute. And, um, yeah, I just found if I was controlling my usage, uh, all of a sudden the mental health wasn't an issue. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying you still don't spack out, but. You know, it happens. I mean, I bottomed out a couple of weeks ago, but it's rare these days. Pretty on to it. Mm -hmm. what, ha what happened a couple of weeks ago? Did oh, I just bummed out a bit, you know. About anything in particular or the... Oh, yeah, there were triggers and all that kind of stuff. You learn to identify them, put the flags up and, you know. And so what do you do now that you're not on medication and you're not self-medicating? Well, I just know when it's happening. I kind of um, bunker in, know that I can't, I can't um, get myself out of it any quicker than it will last. And, um, and, and, and basically know that it's happening and be aware that it's happening. So then you see everything through that prism. So you know that if you, you know, if you don't want to do something that it's because of that and you'll still get it done. Um, so you just become more objective about it. And it's about finding the flags. Mm. Um, so that, so I never really ever, you know, every, people who are close to me worry quite often that I'm, you know, going to spiral or whatever, but really I don't. I don't spiral that far anymore. Yeah, particularly under the pressure that you're under with Connie's illness, people must worry. If you've had situations in the past, if your mental health has been a problem in the past, 
people must be oh, looking yeah, at you. Oh, yeah, because I was so volatile kind of emotionally in my 20s. Yeah. I'm still shaking that tag even from the people who love me. I keep waving my hands going, I'm, you know, I'm all right now. Settle down. I mean the people you know? who love you, by the way. I don't care what anyone else thinks or I, I don't think there's any reputation professionally that, that that's not what I was getting at. Oh, no, no, I hadn't no. thought about it and couldn't give a fuck. Yeah, great. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean the people closest to you um, who love you most must yeah. must it must worry about you and, and you keep yourself very busy. Yeah, I mean, I you've do. cycled around the country. There's nothing more dangerous than an idle man, Michelle. Yeah, so that's deliberate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. That's my strategy. Mm. Yeah, so if I, if I stay insanely busy... And make sure I box the fuck out of it whenever I can. Um, so I box and I stay busy. So I've got, you know, I've got 10, 10 jobs going at any one time. And, um, and yeah, I just get shit done instead of sitting in a room wallowing somewhere. It's a reason to get up, isn't it? Well, yeah, you need them. Yeah, you do. Otherwise, bed's too comfy <laughs> and you don't get up. <laughs> So when did you start um, with the, the drugs and alcohol, do you think, using those to 15. cope? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I used it as a, um, I kind of self-medicated, just kind of, I was very overbearing uh, and and still can be very, very overbearing. Like you're hearing a very calm version of me now, but I can be really, really, really overbearing. And um, I found when I started smoking pot as a like a 15, 16 year old that that really, helped make me more socially acceptable to others. Mm. So I, I found it was good because it kind of shut me up a bit and it, w- it was the only thing I'd found that could shut me up. And my my chief aim at that age was to lower my word count um, because oh, I was just so verbose that it would, you know, it would cost me friendships and yeah. stuff. So. People must have told you that, must have, because I don't think that's anything you, anyone thinks themselves. Someone must have said to you, shut up. No, not someone. You know, I mean, everyone. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd play up in, in class to the point where even the rebels in the class would look at me and say, shut up, in prefer, and you know, prefer to listen to the teacher. <laughs> so the teacher had half the class on his or her side <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. I was very, very, very exuberant. Uh, were you smoking pot and stuff to cope with school? Uh, no, the school. Well, I, 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 no, I didn't. Didn't really like school. Mm. Dad, dad colluded with me. Um, so I, I, I didn't like it, but I was happy to do the work. So if I was happy to do the work, he was happy to write me absence slips. Oh, okay. So you know, he he'd pretend all all manner of TV productions needed me during that period and. I'd go in once a week, hand in my work and receive my work for the next week. So we worked out a way to rot the system. I was 84% unattended in year 12, um, but, I, but I did really well because I had um, I, um, my dad kind of writing me the notes for it. So, yeah, I didn't really go to school in the last couple of years because um, socially I found it too much. Mm. But your dad was really supportive of you. Um, I mean, he must have been was he worried about your verbose verbosity or was he was he aware of your drug use did he know how you were going emotionally at that time yeah 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 because you know he brought me up to be really open with him Mm -hmm. he's quite a quite a progressive dad so yeah no he was he was um it was really good Mm -hmm. and his way of supporting you was helping you work around the system that you didn't really fit into that'd be fair to say um yeah and it was a private school after nine state schools 
Wow. So the culture shock was, I'd never really hung out with privileged kids before. <laughs> and, um, you know, and my compass was saying they were all a bunch of fuckwits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, I feel as though your compass still says that a bit around the place. Uh, well, I've still got a poor man's attitude to wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. How did you get into acting as a young man? Um, yeah, trying to make new friends at this new private school. And uh, one of them said, so are you coming along to audition for the play? I was like, yeah, of course I better go after that, and, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was the only guy that was talking to me at the school. So I went and auditioned for the Pink Panther Strikes Again with him and got the role of the mad scientist. And <laughs> um, the first night that I ever stood on a stage, I got a phone call from a high-powered producer that night saying, I, I want you to come and be in this ad and I'm going to get you an agent and a union card and within about six months I was out earning my dad and paying for my school fees. Well, did he see you at the school play? She. She saw you at the school play? Yeah, yeah. Well, because well, it was an exclusive private school. Private school <laughs> um, the, you know, the exclusive A-grade film producers and directors were sending their kids there. So wow. they were watching their kids in the play um, and um, and I was getting jobs off it. So, yeah, Dad was right about this new school providing more opportunities within six months. <laughs> well, I mean, within six months, I was literally out earning him. This is part of the what is perceived as your dream run, isn't it? In, oh, yeah, in yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember years ago, I was staying with a girlfriend in Bondi. She was an actor. And she said, oh, all anyone ever does around here is, you know, complain about how Sam Johnson gets all the jobs. Like yeah, you, you're yeah. not, you know, you were a buzzword among the acting community in Australia. Yeah, well, um, it's uh, it, yeah, it's funny. All all of that's all of that's a myth. Mm-hmm. You know, none of that's true. Um, I'm a journeyman, like any other actor that can still call themselves an actor. And I mean, I'd be lucky to get fifty days work a year. But back so. then, as a young man, you were discovered at the school concert, basically mm. the school play. Mm. Never acted before. And then um, next thing, it feels like next thing we knew, you're in The Secret Life of Us, which is a massive hit, an iconic show for a generation of people. Well, from discovery at the school play to Secret Life of Us was five, six years. Mm. Um, So there was a lot of kind of, you know, really shitty kind of work Mm. Um, and just bits and pieces, student films, corporate videos, Mm. the odd guesty on the odd crappy Aussie drama. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But yeah, just kind of, yeah, building that that foundation, I suppose. So what was life like on The Secret Life? We've we've talked about the fact that you became, or you were probably already distrustful of people, that it's a strange scenario. Yeah, so I was very opinionated, um, um, extremely righteous. Um, on set or just uh, everywhere else? No, no, just just in in general. I tried to internalise as much of that as I could. Um, um, and yeah, I, I was young, so I was having uh, you know an active kind of social life. So secret life was an annoyance that I had to fit in. <laughs> I had to squeeze in 12, 14 hour days doing this, you know, piece of shit that had no credibility whatsoever. <laughs> I couldn't even believe I was on it. I couldn't believe my life had come to that and I'd ended up just being this, you know, TV whore that, you know, because yeah, I, mean, I, really? I, well, I was such a pretentious young artist. Okay. You know, I mean, yeah. I even donned a beret at one point. <laughs> you know, I was that much of a fuckhead. <laughs> Um, and, and so, yeah, I just, uh, I I don't know. I was, um, you know, I I never wanted to, to kind of work on commercial tally. That wasn't part of my 
uh, trajectory, I didn't think. Yeah. You were one of those guys at that time, and we, we know them. They're all around. The guys who are on a show and then and they hate the show they're on, but it's the show they're on that's creating their life and creating their career and giving them the opportunities to do the other things, but they hate the show. Yeah, but I I mean, look, I had a ball on it. Mm. Um, it's one of the only shows I've worked on where the cast have truly clicked. Yeah. Um, you know, we're all still mates. Really? Um, so it was great. It really was. But... Um, but at the same time, when I was that age, you know, TV meant less to me than it does now, and it means pretty much nothing to me now. Yeah. So, so was that part of the famous or infamous spiral after Secret Life? And I say that because when I when I'm reading you and I'm googling you, there's lots of sort of oblique oblique mentions of the spiral afterwards. The spiral. The downward spiral. The downward The missing spiral. years. Yeah the, this, yeah, the missing years. This is why mm. people come up to me and go, you really should get back into acting, man. You <laughs> yeah. were great in that show 20 years ago. <laughs> man, why haven't you done anything since? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I've kind of been heaps. working nonstop since, <laughs> yeah. man. Um, but it's fair to say there was an emotional, particularly emotional period after well, the show. Um, yeah, well, I moved to um, back to my hometown in Dalesford to get away from kind of the scene. I suppose in Melbourne, I wanted to go and re rediscover my roots because I've always been a bit of a gypsy and some clues to my past lay in Dalesford. So, so pretentiously, I um, set off in my quest, <laughs> probably with my beret on, um, to um, you know to discover you know burning questions um, that yeah. I had about my past. Yeah. Um, so you know, I needed to go on a journey of the of the self. I needed to go and I needed to go and find myself because people had turned me into something that I didn't want to be. And I, I wasn't even sure that I was that you know like so I had to look within like it's um I just kind of felt like Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Everything was really false. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I just really wasn't sure where I was. Like, I had heaps of money, but I wasn't happy. 
yeah. and I always thought like you know if I eventually got the money you know like mm-hmm. I'd be really happy so I was like okay this has got to like turn from being a financial quest because you no longer have to worry about being broke and it has to become like a spiritual quest mm-hmm. um, and and you have to find your inner amazingness and your inner and your inner awesomeness. And and did you find them in No, Dalesford? I wasn't no. really looking. Um, <laughs> uh, no, no, I've, I've, I, I, I met and fell in love with a, um, a beautiful young lady um, called Lainey, mm-hmm. um, which is the most beautiful creature in the world. She was a bit too, uh, a bit too amazing though, and I couldn't quite handle it. So I kind of bailed on her, and uh, and and then she killed herself. Mm-hmm. Um, which was charming and so considerate. Um, so I suppose that, that, yeah, I was probably already not doing that well, but when my girlfriend hanged herself, um, kind of like the night that I left her, um, shit got pretty heavy. How on earth did you, uh, deal with that? What, what did you tell yourself about that? At the well, time? I decided immediately that I wasn't going to blame myself. Okay. Two days after she died. Yep. I was like this, I could blame myself for this for the rest of my life. Um, so I made, made the conscious decision even before she was buried not to blame myself. Mm-hmm. I, was ha- I was happy to be the trigger boy, but I knew I wasn't the cause. Yep. So if I, you know, I, I, I can, I'm okay with being the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and that's how I can choose not to feel guilty about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately there are a lot of other things that went into that, um, act that she com- committed to. They have to be. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, um, I'm okay with Trigger Boy. Yeah. Your emotional um, intelligence is mind blowing. Trigger, I... Trigger Boy is fine. I think if I had to cause that shit, yeah. um, well then it might be hard to forgive yourself of, of your involvement. Yeah. Uh, but also my mum killed herself on, on my dad when my dad left her. So, wow. so, you know, there was an interesting continuity there. Interesting um, is one word for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. So I was able to kind of ask my dad about that and see how he coped when mum did that to dad. And how did he go with it? Uh, well, I... well, how did he go with your situation, with his... Not, Son well, not good. Him. He didn't talk to me in the way I wanted him to. I, okay. I thought I thought that he didn't, you know, really understand where I was at because of what happened with Mum. But yeah, he was a bit. I think he was a bit. I don't know. Gobsmacked himself. Yeah. yeah, that had to bring back a lot of stuff for him that he'd been working on for a Must long time, have, right? Yeah, and stuff that he'd never brought up, so mm. and that we'd never discussed over the years. Mm. So I thought it would provide an opportunity for a lot of bloodletting or. Um, but it didn't, it, it, it tended, it, it didn't really crack the damn wall when it came to dad. So who, who, was there anyone who was prepared to speak to you in the way you wanted to speak about it? Um, yeah, Sarah, um, an old mate who lost one of our, um, closest friends to suicide at the same time. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. you were able to speak in this very open way that you wanted to speak about it. I didn't have a lot to say, mate. Well, you did have to say very quickly that you didn't blame yourself, which I think is is pretty massive. That's an internal decision, though. Yeah. Yeah. But it feels like everyone must have felt like they needed to tiptoe around you in a certain way, and then you've gone, no, you don't. 
Maybe. If I was your close friend at that time, I'd think, okay, he is going to blame himself and we have to get ready and we have to be around this. And then you didn't. So it must have, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if, you know, how was everyone else around you then? We were all devoted, man. We all knew how special she was. Yeah. So it wasn't even about me. Okay. You know, everybody lost an amazing girl. You know, I'm not going to fucking sit here and spend five minutes on how amazing she was, but she was one of the special humans. Mm. Um, um, so, yeah, we were, rather than everyone kind of worrying about me, I think I think we were all just grieving the loss of her. Mm. After that, I came back to work here at Nova because I had yes. a job at Nova at the time. I lasted mm. about nine weeks and then bailed. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't be cheery enough. Coming yeah. up, your <laughs> chance to win Beyonce tickets. Back soon. <laughs> Hang around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they were short breaks, but they must have taken a lot out of you. Oh, mate. Yeah. So, Lisa, how's your day been? Good, thanks. <laughs> <sighs> All right, do you want to I'm gonna sound a bit more enthusiastic, please? You know, a bit of energy. <laughs> Lisa, how are you going today? Good, thanks. <sighs> but also, it seems like after Lainey died, mm. you then started working with charity? Was that when you started working with Open Family and... Yeah, I'd done some charity stuff before that. Right. Um, in 03, I rode my unicycle from Sydney to Melbourne to repay the cancer charities that had helped us out as kids. Yeah. Um, netting a half a million on that one. Wow. Um, but yeah, after Lainey died, we ended up doing a program with disadvantaged kids who were at risk. Um, and it was about getting them out of their environment and um, giving them a, a, a bit of a getaway where we all kind of wrote films and, ma- and voted on which one we wanted to make and then made it. Yeah. And, and I got industry professionals to come in and mentor the kids and all that kind of stuff. It was pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So you had, you were well and truly experienced by the time you decided to get Love Your Sister up and running. Love Your Sister is my third major charity initiative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you ever feel like um, shit keeps, shit happens to you? To lose your mum, to lose Lainey, and then to have Connie diagnosed with terminal cancer after the battles that she'd fought before. People say I've got bad luck, but I, I just don't see it, honestly. Really? Yeah, yeah, because I can identify similar traumas in everybody else's life that I know. Mm-hmm. So it might not be the same set of things as I've got. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we're all just walking around trying to cover up the traumas, aren't we? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, suicide and cancer are the two kind of ones that have probably hit me the most. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just death and loss, I suppose. You know, mm-hmm. I lost quite a few people, but uh, I don't feel like I've had much bad luck. I mean, I, I'm still here. Yeah. So the bad luck happened to the people around me. Mm. And everyone goes, oh, no. And I'm like, what do you mean, oh, no? I dodged all the bullets. I'm the lucky one, mm. not the unlucky one. I guess. Yeah. (laughs) I think my natural disposition is to think of the people who are left, though. And so from my perspective, uh, I think the people who are gone are gone. And I think it's the people left are the ones we need to keep tabs on. And The more people you get to leave, the more people you get to leave behind, the luckier you get. Mm. I mean, it's a privilege to say goodbye to people, you know. You get you get to carry on their legacy through through the way you handle yourself as a human. You get to represent them mm-hmm. without them judging you. Mm-hmm. They're not around to. <laughs> um, and um, and 
yeah, I don't know. I've always said I've got a PhD in grief and it's, and it's because I don't see death as a bad thing. Mm. Um, I can always find a positive. I mean, um, providing the kid, not providing the person has died, say, after the age of 18, mm-hmm. I can find a positive. Yeah. Um, anyone who's had less than 18, I think, I think you should be given at least 18 years. Mm. Yeah. It is what it is. Fucking people fucking die. Yeah, I know that. You know? But, I mean, and, you know, I uh, just... But the thing is, like, we think that we've lost someone special and we don't we don't remember or, or re-realise that nobody's special. Or, or and, everyone's you know, special. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. it's just like and, and we, we carry on as if everything's <sighs> unique and amazing and ours and special and all. And, you know, we're just... Going through what humans go through, it's all it's all part of it. I think I think we put too much on our experiences. Oh yeah, oh, I've just been through the most harrowing breakup. You know, mm. no, you haven't. You've just been through an amazing relationship. You know, and you're breaking up now for a number of reasons. But what about all the things that made it work up until that point? So while most people are fucking crying about a breakup, I'm celebrating a relationship that was. Well, most people are crying about people that they've lost. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted at, ha- at how much time the person who's gone did get on this planet. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like this shame, like hopeless optimist or anything. Like, um, but I, I just think we get it wrong. We tell ourselves our lives are too important, and we tell our, ourselves that our friends' lives and our loved ones' lives are too important and more important than they are. I mean, I'm not saying that family bonds and friendships aren't important, but at the end of the day, I mean, you're going to lose, you know, statistically you're going to lose a mate in a car crash, mm. you know, and you're going to lose family to cancer and you're going to know someone that, that that's going to kill themselves or try to. Mm. This is This is life and it doesn't get easier or better. People are also sold on the myth that, that if they work harder and get more money or, or, or buy a product that they're going to be somehow happier or that life's going to be somehow easier. It ain't. This is your life. It's this complicated. It's complicated. It's awful. It's treacherous. It's traumatic. It's intricate. It's, um, you know, and, and oftentimes it's ugly, sad, depressing and fucking hurtful. So if you can understand that that's what life's like and no matter how hard you fight, there's always going to be those curveballs hitting you in the side of, of the head on some idle fucking Tuesday, then you can be right when the problems occur because you're not um, living in, in a made-up life that is like, you know, as soon as I pay the mortgage off, I'm going to feel free or as, you know, as soon as I get married, I'm going to be happy. We're chasing constructs like freedom and happiness. Um, and I'm not sure that those th- things, the way they're sold to us at least, um, are true at all. So are you are you chasing anything? Do you have a dream? For no. You? you don't have a dream? I've thrown away all my ambitions. Mm. Um, um, I'm, I'm just, yeah, much. I, I, I've, spent, I've only just flipped it all on a dime. I spent my whole life kind of gauging my self-worth by how well I treated others and how much I did for others. And now I couldn't give a flying fuck and I'm doing whatever I want. And it's working for me. <laughs> it is? Yeah, it's great. great. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not kind of long-term planning. I'm not, yeah. I mean, I don't even, that, I'm long-term, long, I'm trying to long-term plan a day four years from now that I don't even know I'll arrive at. It's madness. Mm-hmm. It's madness. 
I'll do. A, I'll, I'll actively plan in the short term. But uh, no, I'm not trying to. I, I'm trying to basically throw away all the paradigms at this point. Wow. Mm. You should write a book about that. Oh, they stress you out. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you did just write a book and you did seem pretty stressed about it. How did it go in the end? How what, do you feel about that? it? The book that you just wrote, you and Connie. Yeah, fine. I don't know. I'm happy for my sister. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm not happy with it, but dad was a writer and mum was a poet. So I'm probably, probably been brought up not to like anything I write. <laughs> <laughs> it's been nominated for Biography of the Year uh, by the Australian Book Industry Association. So someone likes it. Yeah, I think it's rigged. Uh, my first reaction was, do they actually read the books? Is I'm there, sure they skim. Is there any quality control at all? I'm sure they skim <laughs> That was actually, actually my reaction. I, I thought the fix is in. Who's, who, know, who knows who? How would you go playing Molly Meldrum? I mean, there's another very, very soulful character um, in himself. How would you go? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. Um... Uh, trying to play Molly Meldrum in a show called Molly um, for, for Channel 7, you know, who haven't employed me for over 20 years. Um, it was pretty, pretty freaky, pretty scary. Mm -hmm. It was a bit, it was my acting unicycle ride. Mm. So it was, yeah, yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah. yeah. Did you feel, did you feel it? Did you feel you were inside there? I um I found him on a few occasions. Yeah. Or if I didn't find him, I found someone. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, it's um it's weird that whole in the moment thing, but I certainly had some pretty weird moments on that on that set. Yeah. I look, I tried my hardest. Fucking oath. Yeah. You really don't want to get it wrong, but at the end of the day, in the back of your head, you've gone, ah, it's a commercial telly movie. It's just another shitty piece of Aussie drama. No one's gonna give a fuck. Why, do, why, why even worry about it? Sure. It's tomorrow's dunny paper. <laughs> you know? Like, so there's that element because I've been brought up by an alternative kind of father as well that just dismisses anything commercial. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, fucking just a piece of bubble gum. A piece of fairy floss for the commercial networks, mate. Mm. You know? Mm. So, you know, it's important not to take it too seriously. No. Probably the most important role I've had in my career or will have or could possibly have in my career but nevertheless, you've still got to remind yourself that it's just a fucking tally movie. Yeah. You know, mm. in, in, in a country where, you know, the product ain't that good. <laughs> Are you happy with that? Yeah. You'll find more info about all of our guests at michellelaurie.com as well as a place to leave questions and feedback. There's also a link there to the website of Tenzin Choyil. He is the man behind the beautiful Tibetan music you've heard throughout the podcast. Thank you to Tim Mountford and Peter Laurie for editing help, but please know that the clunkiest edits are all mine. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Nitty Gritty Committee, conversations about the guts and the glory of life. Please subscribe to get them all on iTunes and go ahead and leave us a nice review if you feel so inclined.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.